Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, this episode's a little bit different, so I just want to give you a bit of a heads up. You've heard that Ottawa's rolled out this strict framework to cap oil and gas emissions. Prairie premiers hate it. Industry, well, it depends on who you talk to, but here's the thing. You know we do the show live every weekday morning, so... These interviews are a little later in the show than they'd normally be. If you want to hear from Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo in Dubai at COP28, go right ahead to about the 48-minute mark. Uh, Jobs Minister Randy Boisno joins us from Ottawa just after that, at like the hour mark-ish. But in the meantime, before that, we hope you'll enjoy some of the stuff we don't always have time to get around to. The CBC president in the hot seat and uh, a new attack ad aimed at Donald Trump and high school students dissecting, well, butchering a moose in science class. Enjoy. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Big show today. Big, big show today, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're going to go live. It's huge today. (laughs) We're going to go live to Dubai. Canada's uh, Environment Minister, Minister of Environment and Climate Change, the Honorable Stephen Gilbo, will join us. Uh, We're going to ask him what he makes of Alberta's delegation there, see if the two are playing nice. The the federal and provincial delegations are going to ask him why Alberta wasn't invited this time, by the way under Premier Rachel Notley uh, back in 2016, Paris, right? Uh, Alberta was invited and sent a delegation of about a dozen uh, on the federal dime. Not this time. We'll ask why. Plus, you may have seen, depending on when you're listening to this during the day, if you're catching this in, you know, in the afternoon or into the evening, you've probably heard about this new framework. The, the feds just this morning unveiling a framework to cap oil and gas emissions uh, at just about 40 percent, 35 to 38 percent below 2019 levels. So obviously a huge initiative on greenhouse gas reductions, on emission reductions. We'll talk to Minister Randy Boisno about that. And we're going to follow up on some of the other stories that we're covering. Before we go any further, though, I, w- I want to ask you and I want to remind you, have you yet signed up or registered for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic? It's coming up the first weekend in February of 2024. And you're going to go, Jespo, that is ages away from now, Saturday, February 3rd. But as we know, John, if you don't punch it in your calendar and make a plan now, you're going to miss out. Before you know it, it's going to be sold out and you're not going to be there. You go to the events link at ryanjesperson.com. You click on Pond Hockey. We'll put it in the show notes as well. And that's where you can click to register as a team, a volunteer, or a sponsor. We're doing this in partnership with the Canadian Progress Club. We're so proud uh, to align our efforts with theirs. You know, they've raised almost a million and a half dollars since they started doing this thing. And it all goes to great charities like Uncles and at large and kids sport the pond hockey classic an annual tradition hosted by us in the beautiful city of saint albert you know picture like burgers and beers bonfires everywhere we we don't want to we don't want to flex too much but we got (laughs) zambonis out there so the the caliber of the ice is top notch and of course it's a whole bunch of fun you can have a team between four and six skaters it's capped at 24 teams so it's a limited opportunity, but registration's wide open right now for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. Check out the events link again at ryanjesperson.com. 
did you see my new mug, by the way, this morning? I'm not sure. Uh, do you see this Let's one here? Usually, it. usually oh, we've got the yeah. real talk mug, but our friends at uh, the DQs DQ. of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park dropped these off for us, like kind of an, an early holiday gift. And and our mugs today read, "I might look like I'm listening, but in my head, I'm eating a blizzard." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. Feels appropriate for this time of year, so we wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, don't forget that the uh, the flamethrower is coming up on Friday. That's uh, our our weekly tradition, of course, presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And th- this is your chance to say what needs to be said, to get whatever you need off your chest. And uh, we've got some good ones already coming up. Uh, but that's our weekly tradition, again, presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today, yeah. but, I, but I also wanted to take a look at, at some of the things that have been making news uh, across the country. Maybe not sure. on everybody's radar. Did you happen to see on Monday night, everybody knows who Adrian Arsenault is. Of course. Uh, easily, you know, one of Canada's most recognizable n- news personalities. She's sure. been a, a, a war correspondent. She's been an international uh, correspondent for the CBC for many Legendary. years. She is a legend. And and now, of course, she anchors CBC's flagship news program, The National. So mm-hmm. the, the Canada, you know, Canada's national broadcaster announced that they're going to cut about 10 percent of their workforce. Now, sometimes we just rattle off these statistics and 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 it, it's not lost on me that we're when we say, yeah, they're going to cut 600 jobs. And yet you're talking about Humans. 600 yeah. people. Um, some of them, I'm assuming before Christmas, although they say mm-hmm. they're going to spread these cuts out over the next year, which is nice because it just you can have that dark cloud kind of hang over your head for months and months and <laughs> yeah. months. Right. Which is it's, it's nice, although people might be grateful for every check that they're going to get up until the time that they're jettisoned out. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure not making light of it, um, but it's about 10 percent of its workforce. The CBC is going to cut about 600 people, says mm-hmm. it kind of you know needs to do it for budgetary reasons and otherwise. And the CBC's president, Catherine Tate makes herself available for an interview on The National. And, uh, well, what happened during this interview, I think, surprised everybody. It seemed as though either the president of the CBC thought that she was going to get a cakewalk from Adrian, who, of course, is, uh, in a sense, uh, number one, has a job to do, but number two is also speaking for her colleagues, right? Like, she has the one chance, you know, the, the, the guy that's running the studio camera, uh, you know, at the studio in Hamilton mm-hmm. doesn't have a chance to look the president of the national broadcaster in the eye and ask her a question, but Ms. Arsenault does. And so she wants to know, if you're cutting 600 jobs, what's going to happen with all of the people at the top of the food chain? And here's how the exchange went on Monday night. I'm just just curious about something. I'm going to presume no bonuses this year. I mean, the Canadian Taxpayer Federation said a Freedom of Information request showed 16 million were paid in bonuses in 2022. Can we establish that that is not happening this year? It's too early to say where we are for for this year. We'll be looking at that like we do all our line items in the coming months. So there's a there's a chance bonuses could still happen at a time when jobs are being cut. I, again, I, I'm not going to comment on something that hasn't been discussed at this point. So, oh, sounds like they're getting their bonuses. Sounds like they're getting their bonuses. And uh, so I thought that, you know, good on Adrian for asking the question. It's, it's a question, obviously, that should be asked. Mm-hmm. $16 million in bonuses paid out last year to top executives. You wonder of 600 jobs. I don't know what the average income is there. We don't know the, sort of the level of who we're talking about. But at, even at an entry level, mm-hmm. uh, let's say in, in broadcasting these days, let's say the lowest at, at an entry level salary. My guess is the lowest that somebody's going to make working for the CBC 
CBC is around 55k probably. Yeah, I, you know, maybe I would even say 55. Lower. You know, maybe even a bit mm-hmm. lower. And then you've got probably a bunch of people that are working in the in the 65 to 75,000 range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a few that would be above that. Maybe you, maybe you've got some anchors or pe- people that have tenure. Of course, a lot of these would be union employees. Uh, most of them would be, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you go 16 million divided by how many jobs at a salary of about 60,000. That's a lot of jobs. Yeah, that's a lot of jobs that you could keep. And uh, it just seemed like she either wasn't prepared for the question or it just, frankly, she doesn't think that it matters that much, that 100%. that's not as, as big of a deal. But but the, in the era of big executive bonuses amid sweeping job cuts, um, I'm not surprised that a lot of people are talking about this right now. Tasha Carradine, yeah. who was on our show, you remember uh, just a short while ago? Sure. Um, the, the, the conservative uh, commentator and, and author, she was one of the founders back in the day of that, that Center Ice Canadians movement where they were maybe exploring the idea of a new conservative party or a new you know mainstream middle-of-the-road party. Uh, Tasha has since pulled her involvement in that. But she writes in the National Post this week, she says, as Monday night proved... And she's talking about Catherine Tate's interview with Adrian Arsenault. She says the CBC simply isn't smart. She said asked whether there'd be another 16 million in, in executive bonuses this year. Like in 2022, she replied, we'll be looking at that. But I'm not going to comment on something that hasn't been discussed at this point, as you just heard right here on Real Talk. Uh, writes Tasha, a person with empathy or at the very least a good communication strategy would have said, I certainly won't be taking one mm-hmm. and we will be prioritizing jobs and services, not bonuses. And then here's the rub. And here's the point that Tasha makes quite effectively. She says with an attitude like Tate's, like the president, it becomes far easier for politicians like Pierre Polyev to call for the entire enterprise like CBC to be scrapped. She says, and for a lot more Canadians to agree with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is an interesting story that we've been keeping an eye million. on. That's crazy. And with the CBC, are there stockholders as well? Are no, there investors? It's the, it's the public trust, yeah, right? Okay. So, so it's I was going to say maybe. But it, does, it doesn't turn a profit. And, yeah. And, it, and it, sometimes it's difficult. I feel like we need to offer these caveats because we have good friends that work for the CBC, yeah. colleagues of both you and I that we've known for many years that do great work. Yeah. Uh, this was the same sort of a situation that we found ourselves in when, when you know, there was some of that reporting about the, you know, the email that had reportedly gone from at the beginning, the premier of Alberta mm-hmm. to the crown prosecutors. And then it turned out that there wasn't an email or at least nobody could provide it nobody could produce it mm-hmm. and the cbc ended up having to walk back that story and here we are talking about this and what really sucks about this is number one you got to talk about it it's relevant and number two it involves people that we know uh and that that you know that's difficult because you know that these are people that are showing up working hard every single day when you start talking bigger picture about you know does the cbc have have you know justifiable reason to continue to receive hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies you know let me, some people might I call it investment from the federal government costs about $33 a year per Canadian. That's about what wow. the CBC costs. So it's like 10 cents a day for every Canadian. That's about what it costs for, you know, I think not that helps that bad. people understand it. Uh, so it's not like, you know, Canadian families are each shelling out, you know, $4,000 for the CBC, but at the same time, it's not nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you get people, you know, typically populist, typically conservative politicians talking about defunding the CBC stories like this don't do the broadcaster any favors not at all and it's just hearing you talk about that too imagine 
you remember back in the day, like I can't imagine an anchor on the news making less than $70,000 a year with all the work they do. But oh, I, man. with the CBC, I get it. But remember, it started coming out back in the day. I think it was her name, Nancy Lee. Uh, she was the head of CBC. I hope I got the name right. Head of CBC Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was back when Don Cherry was still doing Coach's Corner. It was back when Ron McLean was. Uh, I mean, Ron's still. I, I just think Ron is, is a Canadian treasure and Ron's incredible. So do I. Uh, but, but basically, the CBC was looking at, and this was when like Sportsnet had got the rights, and there was a lot of turnover and transition. Remember, TSN had bought the rights for the song for mm-hmm. the dent, 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 yeah. which they still own. They paid the family like more than a million dollars, the family of the composer of that song. And so everything was in flux and everything was changing. And I guess at that point, the CBC figured, or at least Hockey Night in Canada as an entity figured, they didn't need Ron McLean anymore. Yeah. And so he was happy to go down to the States and he was going to field an offer, you know, you know, probably closer to a million dollars annually. And Canadians were outraged. Canadians were outraged that the CBC was not renewing, that Hockey Night in Canada was not renewing Ron McLean's contract. And at that point, the numbers started to come out. Because I think that they thought by talking about what Ron was making, which at that time was was you know around four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand annually, maybe they thought that the public sympathy would be on the broadcaster's side. Mm-hmm. And then people found out that Don Cherry was making like seven hundred from the broadcaster, and then people couldn't believe it <laughs> that Ron was making less than Don, and that Don was sticking around, and Ron was going to be gone. And you remember that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was crazy. A, it was a wild time. Seven hundred grand was a lot of money back. That well, still is a lot, a lot of money, of money. Right now. <laughs> It's crazy, but this is this is this is the story right now. Media shrink. I don't know if you saw, but Yahoo Sports Canada just kaput uh, at the start of the week. No, just, I didn't even yeah, see that. A bunch of people on Twitter are like, you know, we're out. So I mean, whole industries, whole parts of industries are just saying, hey, we can do this easier. We can do it online. We can get AI to. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? They're finding more and more ways to cut human beings from their jobs. And it just, when I hear that $16 million, I just, it, it sends a shiver up my spine because those people are still getting their money. And like you said, right around Christmas, too. Yeah. Because normally these things come, you know, the next fiscal year, you know, January, February, Bell always does a bunch of cuts. But yeah. right before Christmas, man, that really Man, hurts. I ran into a friend of mine yesterday. I was at a lunch meeting. I um, won't say her name because she's in the dumps right now. And I felt t- just terrible for her. You know, you walk into a situation, you don't know what you're walking into. Mm. I'm out for a business lunch and I see her. So I walk across the restaurant to say hi. I say, how have you been? She goes, I just got laid off. And I go, oh, man. She goes, yeah, my girlfriend's here. You know, she's going to meet me. We're going to grab some lunch, have a bottle of wine. I said, you do what you need to do. But, you know, she's she's laid off. She's a single mom. I mean, she's a, she's a she will land on her feet. Mm-hmm. I tried to not be like the keep your chin up guy, but but she will. Mm-hmm. And she's smart and she's talented and she's got a lot of experience in her industry and hospitality. But, man, she just looked at me and she, you know, she's a single mom. And, and she goes laid off three weeks before Christmas. It's, you know, just, it's just insane. And just brutal. Every day I have gratitude for this show. And, and, you know, I know things happen to both you and me. But, like, I keep saying this every time someone says, hey, do you miss radio? Do you miss being in big media? No, mm-hmm. I think we got out at just the right time. Yeah. It's a very scary landscape. Yeah, and, and right you know, now. and it's and it's tough for for the the young professionals that are coming up right now. That the, what, are the, what's the your Nates ambition to want to be this. involved? It's, well, and I think that that's why more of them reach out to us for interest on practicums and things like that because. 
you know, we really, you, the audience, you prove this every single day to us, which is amazing. And that is that there will always be an audience for talk. There will always be a, a, a desire. There will always be a need for community, for commentary, for gathering. There will always be, you know, a demand for a platform that people can step onto and, and, and make us think and right. Like there's always going to be that, but does that always have to be delivered through terrestrial? I mean, does that have to come at you through satellites or does that have to come at you through the AM dial in your car? I mean, if you bought a car in the last five years, you probably don't even have an AM dial in your car anymore. So we know that the model of delivery is changing, but the value that a talk show provides in whatever way, shape or form it's delivered, Mm -hmm. that will remain. And so that's always my challenge when I talk to like 19 and 20 and 21 year olds that go, you know, they're sort of looking for insight into how they should plan their plot out the career journey. Number one, uh, what is that that old saying? People say that, you know, I mean, if you're a believer, if you if you if you're a spiritual person, this will apply a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, you make plans and God laughs. Exactly. You could probably say you make <laughs> plans and the universe laughs yeah. if that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. But number one, you can't plan it out too much. You got to be open to where the universe will take you. Uh, but number two, you just got to recognize the changes in industry, where they're going, and how do you better prepare yourself for that? And that's doable. And it's so much faster now. When people ask me, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I get into media? All I say to them is, put as many tools in your tool belt as you can. Yeah. Be be able to do a bit of production. Be, if you want to be on air, make sure you know things behind the scene as well, because things can change. They're changing so much faster these days, Isn't right? Isn't that the truth? That's 100% the truth. Um, Lorraine in our live chat says, we need the CBC, but we need to look at how it operates. Uh, says, I vote for more funding and to eliminate paid ads. Lorraine, that's a really interesting point. Um, and Glenna says the CBC is always taking hits. You know, we spend more on a pizza than we do on the CBC. And, and we have a, a, you know, we've lost a lot of Canadian content and field staff over the last two decades. And Glenna's not wrong at all. Um, a lot of you are, are talking about like this one from Kathy, who kind of speaks for a lot of people in the chat, says it's an odd juxtaposition that the CBC is taxpayer funded, but it also sells advertising in competition with private broadcasters. You know, to, to be candid, um, that used to drive us nuts when, you know, ratings would come out mm. and and like I'm not being a prick this is just a fact like i was always on stations where the ratings were higher than the cbc so it didn't necessarily matter as <laughs> yeah. much i'm not that's just a fact yeah but but there were people that whose stations were ra- rated lower than where the cbc was landing or where they were delivering and they'd say like it's a completely unfair advantage and so you know there'd be on-air broadcasters there'd be like people that are hosting shows and the boss would call them in after the book they'd call the book was out the ratings oh, are out man. and they'd say you know what are we gonna do? And, and they'd say i don't want to hear i don't want to hear you invoke the cbc in this conversation because yeah. It's not the same. It's not the same. They're not playing by the same rules. Now, if you are going to go 100% ad-free, um, if I remember off the top of my head, and, and don't quote me, but the CBC brings in, between the CBC and Radio, Radio Canada, they bring in approximately $80 million a year in advertising revenue. Okay. But, it, but it costs quite a bit more to operate both of those entities. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, $80 million is not nothing. It's not a lot, though, when you compare it to, like, it's not. I mean, apps that are making billions and yeah. stuff like that. So, so um, yeah, I'd be curious to know. You can let us know what you think about this. Like, you know, do you... I, I think most people... I don't know. I mean, I, I know that, you know, Dwayne makes the point. He says CBC employees pay taxes too, 100%, obviously. And they're all very, like most of them are very skilled and very good at what they do. I mean, the CBC has has brought us some of the, the best and most steadfast journalism in the world. And you look at what's I happening. I still think and, they are. Well, and, and you can't, I mean, you know, private broadcasters right now, and you, you look at the cuts that are being made and, and you look at where the money's being prioritized. I'm talking about shareholders. 
um, and kickbacks and bonuses like we're talking about, you've got to have news outlets and agencies that are willing to send people into war zones. They're going to mm-hmm. send people uh, to cover international stories. <clears throat> and if you're always operating on that that bottom line business front, like all private broadcasters are doing, mm-hmm. you're going to see that coverage disappear mm-hmm. over time because 100%. you can't necessarily 100% justify unless it's, you know, this war coverage presented by Expedia, which I'm not trying to be funny about, but like you, you can't, uh, you, you know, 100% rely on for-profit journalism 100 it's it's not always doable yeah. um send us an email to talk at ryan i don't doubt that there will be some cbc employees that are hearing this that may have insights if you want to write in you know the best thing for you to do and you can trust us you can write in from your cbc account or in some way you know you got to be careful too they might be checking your emails but prove to us that you are who you say you are but if you want it to be delivered to this audience anonymously, we do that stuff. As long as we know you are who you say you are, we're happy to make your message anonymous, but deliver it with the credibility that it deserves to be delivered with. And I think that we could further this conversation. Mm. I think it's lazy to just have the defund the CBC argument. I always roll my eyes at that just because it plays well in, in, in really partisan rooms. But when you actually think about it and think about what you're saying and what that means and what the implications are, maybe some people might change their minds. Uh, really quick, before we go on, I-, I wanted to mention that right now, you know, we've got an opportunity for those of you that are looking for a rewarding and high paying career, but you're going, there's that one thing. There's always been that one thing with you. You don't have a university degree. Guess what? No big deal. You can get started as an insurance professional with Business Career College. You know, we're talking about salaries in Canada right now. Insurance agents are typically starting uh, right around 60000 annually. They can quickly be up into the six figures. And all you need to do is take an approved course and pass a licensing exam, right? The Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance. Plus, their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. And right now, there's a great offer exclusively for real talkers you can save 15 percent on any bcc insurance course on any of their courses with the code real talk that's all one word promo code real talk when you get started today at businesscareercollege.com did you see that uh have you seen the lincoln project's newest video this is absolutely amazing. Do people be familiar with the Lincoln Project? This was um, it's an entity that was basically established to combat Donald Trump. That's that's basically what happened, like when his career mm-hmm. was really coming up. And I think that they, they formed it before he was elected president. Um, but but this is a, it's a group of basically uh, political operatives, also marketing and advertising executives, people, you know, that have really made a, a big name for themselves and, 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 and earned, obviously, uh, an enormous amount of wealth over the years in their careers and they're directing some of those funds into campaigns essentially against Donald Trump. Um, If you're on Twitter and you don't follow the Lincoln project, you need to follow them right away, but they've got a new video out and, and we've talked, I feel like it was in in, in the interests of fairness, in the interests of editorial integrity on this show, we call spades spades. And there have been several times on this show where I have questioned the fitness of, of Joe Biden to seek another term as the American president. Um, And uh, to be clear, if I was voting as an American right now at this point in history, it would be a no-brainer. I would vote for the Democrats if I was an American voting right now. 
I'm not going to say I always would have voted Democrat, and I'm not saying I always would. But at this point, there's no way in hell that I would ever cast a vote for Donald Trump. I don't think that that would surprise anybody that ever listens to or watches this show. But I have been critical of Joe Biden as the candidate. As one real talker said, and I reiterated, I agreed with it 100%, Americans deserve better than a choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So here's the deal. The Lincoln Project recognizes, here's the deal. They recognize (laughs) that I do think that Biden's age, and this is the most obvious thing I'll say all day, is a bit of a liability. I think so too. And they've put together this little ditty to remind everybody that Donald Trump is not exactly a spring chicken. Check it out. Hey, Donald, we noticed something. More and more people are saying it. You're weak. You seem unsteady. You need help getting around. And wow. An enormous, really an enormous country and you do. Are you sure you don't have dementia? It runs in the family. Have you had a real doctor check you out? You keep confusing things. And we did with Obama. We won an election. Getting the facts wrong. We just left pleasure. People laugh about it. About you. Even your own people behind your back. You're winning the primary, but losing your power, your strength, your manhood. Face it, Donald, you're just projecting when you call Joe Biden old. He's stronger than you, fitter than you, smarter than you, a better man and a better president. Anyone can see it. And when you lay there at night, alone, you know we're right. You're falling apart, Donald, breaking down right in front of our eyes. God bless the United States. (laughs) Bing bong bong. I feel like I don't even want to mimic what he just said because it's impossible to do it without sounding like a jerk. But I just thought that was very effective. Um, Maybe one of their best videos to date. And uh, if you are on Twitter and you don't follow them, you can check it out at Project Lincoln. They used all of his own words. Yeah. They used all of his own clips. Mm-hmm. They didn't edit anything. They Obama. Didn't, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> United States. It's like, have another one, buddy. Yeah, I know. Have another one. I tell you this, though. Both of them, and I'm, you know, I know people are going to get on me, but I just, two guys that age, are these, are these the only guys we have? Are these the only choices we have? Yeah. Two senile Old man. Allegedly senile. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you gotta, yeah. Oh. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Last night, obviously, the the last uh, Republican debate, and there's you know going to be a lot of people with a lot to say, and and of course, as much as it feels appropriate, we'll keep an eye on that uh, on those developments down stateside. I know we'll get emails from people every once in a while that'll say, "Why do you talk so much about American politics?" We or haven't been lately. Well, we haven't been at no. all. But but also, it's very relevant. Of course, right? I mean, like what happens in the states impacts the rest of the they world. It happens the all around us. Um, even as I say that, it pops into my brain that we've we've not even met. This is kind of a bit of a bummer, but to point this out, you know, the, the shooting at the at UNLV mm-hmm. uh, as we're talking about this. This is just hours ago, basically. I think it's three people dead at, at this point and others injured. And it's and it's like that stuff doesn't even crack news coverage in Canada because it happens so frequently. You mm-hmm. know how messed up is that? So and it, now it's, it's happening here. I mean, right here in Edmonton, the Kingsway shooting the other that's day. That's wild. It's, it seems two mall lockdowns in the last week during the holidays. Holidays too. I mean, my partner J J T J C J T. You want to get that uh, one right? J Tinder. Uh, she doesn't even want to go shopping this year. She wants to do everything online because it's just it's yeah, it's pretty scary. Well, to get local, so yeah, the the one lockdown it was at West Edmonton Mall. You don't have to even live in Canada to have heard of West Edmonton Mall, but but it was a full blown lockdown just a few days ago, as mm-hmm. as as witnesses have been saying. Stabbing. Um. Well, and 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 it all started over an argument, and, and then a guy pulls a gun. Police 
confiscate a loaded handgun. I'm sitting there going, who's bringing loaded handguns to, go Christmas to the mall? It's... Like, what on earth is going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's, it's easily the busiest place in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and people from all around the world come there to go check it out. And you got people in the mall with loaded handguns. Like, mm-hmm. do we get to the point where we're going to need like airport security to get into the malls? I'm not even joking. I and, don't know. So people can have peace of mind. And this is what, the second time this year? That we've had the full lockdown at, least, at the mall, yeah, maybe at three. least, yeah, at least. Um, so we've got uh, federal environment minister, minister of environment and climate change, Stephen Gilbo, coming up in about ten minutes. We're going to talk to uh, Randy Boisneau as well. He's he's a, a liberal cabinet minister out of Alberta, so he'll have an interesting take on the big announcement today as well about emissions reduction. I wanted to get to an email that we've got. We sure appreciate when you're in touch with us on the show, and and I don't know if you saw or not, but last week um, we presented a real talk roundtable featuring representatives out of Athabasca University that are all tied in different ways to nurse practitioners, uh, including Dr. Alex Clark, the president of the university who joined us, uh, also a recent grad from the program. The context of this, of course, is that the Alberta government is basically inviting NPs, nurse practitioners, to open their own clinics. Um, and, and they're removing some of the barriers that have stood in the way. Uh, we don't know exactly yet 100% of what that's going to look like, whether it will be you know salaried or fee for service. There are some things to be determined. But what the government knows and what Albertans know is that there is a very significant shortage of family docs. And people are unable to get in and see a doctor for something like a sprained ankle all the way up to like, is this lump cancer or worse? And so uh, the province is looking for solutions. And one of those they believe to ease the strain will be nurse practitioners. Not everybody agrees. And we get into that in the roundtable. I encourage you to check it out. This was uh, uh, just under a week ago. This was on November 30th. Uh, You can find it in our podcast archive, obviously, or you can find it on YouTube. Well, it prompted a note from Paul, from Dr. Paul, I should say, who is a um, happily retired neonatologist, uh, which is awesome. So so Dr. Paul was there to welcome uh, the world's youngest citizens to the planet over the course of his career. And he writes in just to say, Jespo, great show is always on NPs, nurse practitioners, says your guests hit the big points well in terms of urgent public care needs. He says nurse practitioner training standards, qualifications, clinical collaborations with GPs, with general practitioners like family docs, as well as payment models. He says, as Dr. Clark stated, the data uh, are nearly supportive, both from research and clinical practice. He says, uh, in my own area of work, which was in the neonatal ICU, known as the NICU, so Dr. Paul, his career was with, uh, you know, arguably the most vulnerable humans on planet Earth, the tiny little babies that are in the NICU. He says, I worked with nurse practitioners in Alberta since the late 1980s, and we routinely talked to NPs in the so-called far north about critically ill newborns while we arranged emergency transport teams to fly them in Uh, to Edmonton. He says the NP was able to keep these babies alive until our team got there. He says, oh, and by the way, uh, the emergency transport team leader was a neonatal nurse practitioner as well. He says there was not an MD on the transport team. He says we didn't have enough MDs to go, so we developed the nurse practitioner model for transport and later across all of our care in the neonatal ICU. At that point, says Dr. Paul, there were all kinds of critics saying that nurses couldn't do this ICU work independently. We proved 40 years ago that they could. 
He says, so I want to thank you for opening this conversation up to real talkers. The time for action on this in the broad context of primary care is long overdue. That from Dr. Paul. Uh, Really appreciate that and appreciate you taking the time to chime in. Uh, We got some notes from some family docs as well. You know, I'm the son of a family doc. I got a ton of respect for family doctors. Uh, Some of them were not happy that we we hosted that roundtable. They don't believe that this is a move in the right direction. I think to a certain degree... Because family docs, I, I think that, number one, there's maybe a feeling of a, a little bit of, of unfairness. Um, maybe there's, to be honest, uh, you got to be careful invoking this word, but maybe there's a tiny little bit of insecurity as well. Um, and I think that there's also probably the feeling that this is just yet another slap in the face uh, from a government. And if we invoke uh, Jason Kenney, former health minister, Tyler Shandra as well, a government, a conservative government that's had somewhat of a hostile relationship with family doctors and for that matter with nurses as well mm-hmm. for a number of years. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not surprised at the feedback. I'm not, uh, we welcome the criticism. Uh, totally cool. <clears throat> totally fair. We want to know where you land on these things. And uh, we'll continue to cover that story as it develops. Do you want to talk about the moose? <laughs> we, do we have time? I want to make sure. Uh, We've got a few minutes here before. Uh, make sure we're ready for the, the honorable for the live in. check-in from Dubai. And I'm also got to. I also got to make sure that I leave some time to talk about these satsumas in front of us. Oh we my got a bowl gosh! Of satsumas in front of us. Thank you, Friesen. Um, we we had a special delivery from our friends at Friesen Brothers yesterday, and I'm and I'm about to gush over these things for. I am about to just like sing these. Uh, I don't even know if they're technically oranges. They are. They're satsuma oranges, but you just call them satsumas. It's so fun to say. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. This story out of Alaska is absolutely amazing. So this was just yesterday at uh, Chugiak High School. Uh, a science teacher, a high school science teacher, brings in a moose. Now, the moose has been harvested. The moose has been hunted. It's not alive. Uh, brought in the moose for his freshman class, so grade 9 students, to quarter and process the meat. Mm-hmm. So they're basically learning to butcher the moose. Um, and through this preparation, students, the idea is that students would learn about um, subsistence living and harvesting techniques. Uh, obviously, a, a fascinating lesson in biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the moose actually was harvested, harvested with a, uh, a special permit uh, for educational purposes. So mm-hmm. it's not like the, the teacher didn't draw a hunting tag for a moose as the average hunter would. Um, it was a special tag that was granted uh, to harvest an animal for educational purposes. Mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing <laughs> idea. <clears throat> I'm curious to know. I recognize I'm talking about this to my plant-based colleague. <laughs> I knew you were going to get into <laughs> well, this. Well, I mean, I just like I don't mean any yeah. disrespect by bringing this up, but it's also real life. You're not afraid of real life conversations. No, of course. What? Not. Let's start with this. When you were in school, yeah. Did you ever dissect an yeah, animal? Yeah, we, we did the frog thing. You did the frog, right? and that was, what, grade, I think, was that grade nine? I, yeah, I think first year of high school. Did you ever I think do the worm? Did. did you ever dissect oh, yeah, of the course. worm? The and worm I think was that like was even earlier. Grade yeah, seven or yeah. six or mm-hmm. something like that? Mm-hmm. So those you went only... from the onion to the worm, like looking at cells, yes, right? Yes. To the frog, yeah. Yeah, onion, worm, <laughs> frog. And then I seem to remember dissecting an eyeball. You I did think, that? I, I think, if I remember correctly. What From uh, what? Well, I think it was from a cow, if okay. I remember correctly. But that might be BS. I might be misremembering. But I but definitely mm. remember the frog. I can still smell it. Uh, definitely remember the worm. I thought that was fascinating. Mm. Um, a moose... Is like fifteen hundred pounds for starters. And we're, look at them. We're talking about dragging it down the hall. In the photo, if you're listening on the podcast, like yeah, it's just I guess you just have to imagine 
a huge fucking moose. Mm-hmm. Like that's what this is, just laying on the ground. But what do you th- what do you think about this? Like I well, I I I knew you were going to ask me about it, and and I think I think if this happened in in a metropolitan area like Toronto or New York City or here in Edmonton or, Cal- or in California, it, there would be outrage. But we're talking about like location here, Alaska. We we know there's communities that are living off the land. So I mean, I think this teacher was giving the kids and the students there what they need because a lot of them are going to be involved with that right in front of their face. So, I mean, I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but I can see, you know, geography wise, why it would make sense in Alaska or none of it or places like that. So I, I personally love the idea Mm. and I think that it's, and I understand that there may be some students that are not into it. Oh, that's totally fine. They're, they're even there. They're, probably is students who were like a oh, fuck no i'm taking the day off <laughs> but, but, but we're, we're we're okay with with students opting out of things right yeah, of course like we're okay with students you know leaving the classroom to participate in in daily prayers if they need to we're okay with students opting out of i mean i know that some parents i, I mean i don't say i disagree with this i think it's really too bad but some parents pull their kids out of sex ed mm-hmm. um, we know that there's kids that, that don't participate in certain parts of science um, this would be an example because either it turns their stomach or they, they just can't that's just not something they could do with an animal mm. but i think that like you said uh, and number one i love this comment from randy uh, in the live chat, Randy says it's called land-based knowledge and education. He says, I do some of this for fellow indigenous folks and students. That's amazing, Randy. I'd love to hear more about that. Um, Cheryl Outside chimes in. That's a great handle. Says, we grew up hunting and my dad cried every time he shot and killed a deer or an elk. We wasted nothing. We never hunted more than we needed. Um, I married into a hunting family mm. and you will not find people that have more respect for animals and for the land and for conservation. Uh, you know, whether, whether it's like organizations like Ducks Unlimited or whether it's individual hunters, um, I know that it's, um, you know, I won't say standard practice, but it's, it's not uncommon for hunters after they harvest an animal to spend a minute with that animal and to thank the animal and, and to sort of have that way of thanking the universe, thanking creator, whatever your tradition is um, <clears throat> for that animal sacrifice and for feeding your family. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this, number one, like Randy said, indigenous traditions or hunting traditions, learning more about the land, um, also learning about the biology of it, like getting that close and personal to a moose that will be utilized. They're obviously not throwing it out after this. Uh, my understanding is is that a lot of the kids were able to take home some of the meat. Uh, but also you understand, and it's reiterated, that T-bones don't grow on supermarket shelves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the tenderloins don't materialize out of nowhere. Yeah, we got, we, we're realists here. But yeah, I think if this took place, you know, Maybe if it took place in Texas, I'd be like, oh, come on. You guys don't need to live off the land. But I understood when I saw it, the immediate picture. Yeah, it rubbed me the wrong way. But look where these people are living. Like, yeah. A lot of them are going to be doing this. Right? I do so- want people to know that I did give you a heads up. We use a tool. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we use a tool. Hours. We use a tool called Slack <laughs> where we will we, we'll send images and videos to Johnny and say we need this for a future show. And I did say, Hixie, heads up. There is a ingest. There's, I said there's a there's a photo coming that that may be a little shocking. Uh, it's a moose laying in a high school hallway. Uh, that's obviously not where it was harvested. I should say, but R.I.P. But there you are. R.I.P. to the moose. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking to the uh, environment minister coming up in just a second. He'll be checking in live from Dubai. But first, I wanted to tell you, and and I guess that th- this is technically an ad, but this is just me being sincere. Um, the team at Friesen Brothers dropped off these satsumas yesterday in Incredible. our studio. 
These are phenomenal. I was, and I, I got to apologize because the, the head grocer there who came over, yeah. I love him, but I was so busy yesterday and you guys were in the back. I was getting some work done and I was listening to what he said about them. And I said, yeah, in my head, I'm like, it's just an orange. Yeah. I got these things home and took a bite into them. No. First of all, they've got the stem on top. So you pull it off. It looks so cool. Right. You've got the beautiful leaves here. <laughs> and uh, this is Dan, by the way, who's their produce manager yeah, that dropped these off. And uh, they, they peel beautifully. And um, this is like all falls in, in my family. I love the tradition of giving fruit yeah. or gifting produce to you people. You get an orange in your stocking. So right? you get like an orange in your stocking or you're headed to like a Christmas party, Hanukkah party, whatever it is. Seasonal party, Kwanzaa party, uh, Festivus party. But and the, the you want to bring something. Like, it gives you a perfect oh starting gosh. window to open it up and it's so easy. So this thing peels just beautifully and the taste of it, like you know you get, like you get, it seems to me like the oranges over the years have, have just kind of gotten a little bit lousy. And so we were talking to Dan about this. See, Dan knows, he's smart. He knows this is going to end up being like a three-minute <laughs> session on his Satsuma oranges. So Dan's crazy like a fox. He gets it. But I was like, what's up with it? It seems to me in my childhood, my memories of the oranges, they were just so much better. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and he goes, well, yeah. He goes, that's because like, the way that people grow them now, he goes, a lot of the oranges are grown over in Asia, yep. right? And they're just, they're like genetically engineered to be able to survive and thrive, not thrive, but at least not look horrible, after sometimes weeks on these ships. Like they, they're shipped over and they can encounter interesting weather conditions. And, and then you get them and they don't peel very nice and they, they, they barely taste like anything. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have maybe given up on these oranges, right? Well, not anymore. These satsumas, they're grown in California for starters. And he says they're, they're a little bit more delicate. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be difficult. He basically said not every crate that arrives goes out on the shelves because sometimes, he said, like, rain can be With a real the killer and for everything, them. the weather, the, the humidity, everything. So they're a little more delicate, but th all that means is that you can only get them for a limited time. <laughs> they, should, they should pay us $10,000 more for this one. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but you I, can only get them for a limited, you can only get them for the month of December. But I, 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 I should have mm. paid more attention, and I heard you eat one right behind me. And I was like, okay, I'll get to it. So I thank him and he leaves and I take this thing home. I broke into one of these as soon as I got home. So good, dude. Oh my, this is the best orange. I'm not lying. This isn't an ad. This is the best orange I've ever tasted in my life. And it brought me back, like you said, to maybe when oranges tasted better, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was. it's just delicious. It's like eating candy. Unbelievable. But good be, for you. I'm going to be crushing this Satsuma for the rest of the show. You want one? Can I toss one over? Yeah, buddy? please. There you go. Oh. Satsuma. Hit your mic stand. Not smooth. Not smooth. There's a reason why I never made the baseball team. But the good news is, is that you've now got a Satsuma to enjoy. Let me tell you real quick that if you go to Friesen.com right now, you can learn a little bit more about where their 16 locations are. Make sure you pick up a box of those Satsumas uh, through the month of December. Are you looking for the perfect Christmas gift, the perfect holiday gift for somebody that has absolutely everything? Do they have a California closet? A free consultation is a great way to get a conversation started on integrating custom closets and storage solutions for your entire home. What about a custom garage? What about a custom craft room? What about a home office that integrates a Murphy bed and becomes a guest room when you need it, but clears up that square footage when you don't? What about hiding the printer in the home office? What about integrating the chargers into your drawers so there's not cables everywhere? How about getting the bottles of wine off the shelf and into a 
custom designed cabinet. They do it all at California Closets. And again, it starts with a free consultation. You can get in touch with them today at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials also have an update for you. If you go to granddog.ca, you can learn a little bit more about what they've got going on right now. And through the month of December, They've got a special promotion for Real Talkers. Their Chicken Raw Pet Food Blend, that 40-pound box, is on sale for the entire month for 84 bucks a box. That's knocking about 8 bucks off the total. You've just got to use the promo code DECEMBER2023 at checkout. It's a blend that's great for dogs and cats because it's using entire, like whole Alberta-raised chickens that are sourced from human-grade facilities. And you go, well, why is it such a big deal? Ryan's always talking about whole chickens, whole tur- the whole animal that they use here. Well, it's because they're using the bones as well. They're using everything that contains those nutritional elements that our dogs and cats really need. One of the coolest parts about Grand Dog Essentials, they'll deliver right to your door. If you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta, make sure you use the promo code REALTALK to knock 10% off your first-time order at granddog.ca. We'll be going to Dubai shortly. Uh, Minister Stephen Gobeau will join us, and we'll learn a little bit more about an announcement made just this morning, uh, the Liberal government unveiling its framework to cap oil and gas emissions um, at up to 38% below 2019 levels. Uh, so they say that it'll still allow, you know, integrating technology, et cetera, a production increase of 12%, which is good news. How are they going to find the balance? We'll learn more about this. This is a story that's just been developing this morning, the announcement made uh, as we're going on air. So we've got a couple of uh, comments uh, coming from ministers coming up here on the show. Did you see our conversations over the past couple of days with Max Fawcett and then yesterday with Darren Billis and Dave Cornwayer? Pretty great back-to-back shows if you're interested in the dynamic of Alberta politics and in particular, the direction that the NDP is going to go. We got some messages from people yesterday that are just going, hang on a second, you're having a lot of conversation about the next leader of the NDP, whether or not the Alberta NDP needs a rebrand. They said, are we missing something? Like, did Rachel Notley resign? The answer is no. Um, but the it, it is widely expected that that resignation will be coming in 2024. Could it be the spring? Could it be the summer? We don't know. We've got different opinions, even from the guests on our show. Great to have a former cabinet minister in Darren Billis here yesterday. So Dave Cornwallier, you know him, behind DaveBerta.ca. He's got his annual uh, Best of Alberta Politics survey out, and we encourage you all to fill it out. If, if you give a rip about Alberta politics, this is always a, a fun way to participate. You, you let them know who you think the most effective MLA is, who's the best MLA, who's the best cabinet minister, who's the best opposition member, who's the up-and-coming MLA to watch. You know, He asks what was the biggest issue of 2023 and what was the best political play of 2023. And you can check out our episode that was yesterday. That was our December 6th episode if you want to see or hear our answers to those questions. Although Billis was a little slippery yesterday. He's not too far removed from the legislature. Yeah. And he's got a lot of friends there, obviously, and former colleagues. So I don't think that he wanted to get into it. I don't think he wanted to say who he thought was the best MLA because obviously he was working with a whole lot of them right up until May when he decided not to seek reelection. He didn't lose the election, but that's what he decided to seek. And so we wanted to encourage you to check out that survey. And, and Dave's going to be leaving that open for the next week or so. Um, it's going to close on December 10th, as a matter of fact, at 8 p.m. So you've got till Sunday at 8 p.m. to to complete that survey and let us know what you think I mean it would be great if you sent us your answers as well it gives us something to talk about and of course we're going to be uh, taking a look uh, at, at maybe some of the trends that we see one of the names that came up was Janice Irwin 
and this is an interesting email from Brock, uh, who took an issue with that. And, and I wanted to get into it. Now, there's a lot of praise for Janice on the show yesterday. So I'm not using this segment to crack on her, but this is how that praise landed with one real talker. You know her. She's easily one of the most recognizable MLAs down at the Alberta legislature. She's got a big social media following. She was just named one of Edify's top 40 under 40. I mean, she's got Irwin Nation, basically, a ton of supporters. Well, Brock wrote in to say, I, I, was, I was curious to know why nobody, as far as I can tell, has called out MLA Irwin on cheering in the streets of Alberta after what's been happening with Hamas, 1,400 people killed in Israel. And if you look at some of Irwin's posts, they have been very pro-Palestine. And this has been something that several of you have written into the show about. And up until this point, this isn't something that we've spoken about publicly. Uh, Brock wonders, why is it that Ms. Irwin has only started speaking out once Israel responded to what happened to them, but only speaking out in support of Palestine? He says, I-, I know that this is important. He says, because I'm connected and I know that the Jewish community is very worried about the apathy that they've been seeing from this political party. He's talking about the NDP after October 7th and the lack of calling out some of the worst anti-Semitism that this country has seen in a century. Brock says, and I really hope, Ryan, that the next time that you're getting NDP members on your show, that there can be questions like that pointed in their direction because frankly it's getting a little bit scary about how all of this is being swept under the rug in Canada he says and I think that you agree he says Janice ruined it for me when she decided to stand in solidarity for Palestine while saying completely silent on October 8th when people were celebrating in the streets what Hamas had done you know the weeks of silence from many of the political candidates that you three talked about on your December 6th show You know, people, you know, nobody, where was people denouncing folks dressing as Nazis at the University of Calgary? Where was that? He says Calgary is a very well-respected Jewish community that notices these types of things, Ryan. If you had the ability to call out people dressing as Nazis, uh, to not call out the cheering on what happened on October 8th, he says, I know all I need to know about the moral clarity of some of these politicians. Brock says, now, maybe I just don't understand how a party that rightfully calls out hate and bigotry quicker than most other parties would could stay completely silent on this one. But like I said, it's telling me all I need to know. That from Brock, who sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We appreciate your perspective. I know not everybody will agree with Brock. That's perfectly fine. That is not the point of this show, to bring everybody onto the same page, but to challenge us and have an opportunity for us to say what needs to be said. We're grateful for the opportunity to go live now to Dubai, where the 28th United Nations Climate convention is being held. Canada's Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change, the Honourable Stephen Gilbo, joining us. Minister, thank you for making time for us. It's well past dinner time in Dubai right now. What's what's the last day or so look like for you in your capacity? Uh, well, today uh, is supposed to be break day as part of this conference. It's a, it's a two-week-long conference, and usually there's a day in the middle where, where, where people have a break. For me, it's going to be a 10-hour day instead of a 16-hour work day, so... I guess it's a bit of a break. What would you say has been your mandate having heading over there? Do you head over uh, to a, to a high profile convention like this with one particular goal in mind? I'd say we have a couple of uh, of different goals that we're pursuing. I mean, the first and foremost to 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 to, to be a constructive participant in in these negotiations. It's, it's these are complex. It's a, climate change is a complex issue. It's a global issue. There's 190 countries that that are that are here with with different interests, different points of view, different vision, 
So we want to try and, and, and help the broker as much as possible. And in fact, the COP28 president has asked me and seven other ministers to help him do exactly that. We've started working with them uh, this past summer to do that, to build, to start building momentum coming into this meeting. Uh, th- there's kind of the impression, I think, that a lot of Canadians have that there are two maybe maybe competing delegations that are over there right now. There's there's the federal delegation. There's Canada represented at COP, and then Alberta uh, sending you know approximately a hundred people there. Uh, you know, including the premier, the environment minister, and others. Do you get that sense that that these perspectives that they are dueling perspectives between those two delegations out of Canada? I would say that there are things on which we we don't agree, and it's been pretty clear if you look at the media of late. But there are things that where where we do agree. Um, Alberta just announced uh, its its public support for for carbon capture and storage in in Alberta, something we did over a year ago at the federal at the federal level, and something the industry was was waiting for. Carbon capture and storage won't save us from climate change, but it is one of the technologies we will need in certain sectors like cement maybe steel and, and certainly oil and gas. It's not the answer to all of our problems, but it's certainly part of the package. I, uh, so we, we, both, we both agree on that. And in fact, last night there was a, a dinner organized uh, by, 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 by Canada for, uh, for ministers. Premier Moore was there, Premier Smith was there, Minister, Minister Champagne, my colleague. And we had a pleasant evening. We, uh, we don't agree on, that, on everything, but we are all Canadians and, and we are trying to find solutions to, 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 to better and to improve our country. Uh, did you, my, my understanding is that back in 2016, uh, Rachel Notley's premier, uh, the Alberta delegation was invited by Ottawa, the funding provided by Ottawa for them to attend COP that year. My understanding is that Alberta did not receive an invitation from the feds this year. Is that accurate? And if so, how come? No, it's not accurate. In mm. fact, uh, all, of the, all of the Alberta delegation are wearing Canada badge. It says party, and it's a badge very similar to the one I, I, I wear. I mean, mine is a little bit different because I'm the head of the Canadian delegation, but it's the same as all all the Canadian negotiators because they're part of of the Canadian delegation. We submitted their applications to the UN. To and 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 what is true of Alberta of what is true of Alberta is true of Saskatchewan of uh, people who are here from 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 British Columbia, from Ontario, from Quebec, from 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 the Atlantic provinces. Because the the impression is is and I've seen it a thousand times in responses to my tweets about this. People are saying Alberta was not invited. So you're saying that is not accurate. That's not the case. Not only it's not the case, but um, to my knowledge, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, the the delegation from Alberta is the largest provincial delegation we've ever seen uh, at a COP as part of the Canadian delegation. I, I believe the last count is about 100, over 150 people from Alberta. I think the previous record holder was Quebec with 130 or 140. So uh, they are they are totally invited, and 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 we really take all of the names that that the Alberta government submitted to us. Uh, we we don't select any of the, those names. We don't choose. We we just take them and send them to the United Nations, saying. Please accredit these people as part of the Canadian delegation. Is there a is there a bit of a different vibe at COP28 than at previous conventions based on where it is and who's hosting it? Obviously, a very oil-rich nation, a very oil-rich region. How is that impacting the feel of it and maybe even what may come out of it? It's an interesting question, Ryan. I mean, obviously, uh, the United Emirates Arab uh, are the uh, the seventh largest oil and gas producer. We're the fourth, um, and in a way, 
it, it means that we can have discussions with them where they feel that they can be understood because we're in a similar situation. We're, you know, we're, we're both large oil and gas producers and we, we, we want to tackle climate change in Canada. And I think we're, we're clearly seeing that the, that the UAE is, is, has, they've made a, a series of announcements to, to, to show how also they want to be, they want to be part of the solution. There are people who say, listen, you know, why do this in, in, a, in a country like this? Um, the simple answer is that it's the United Nations that, that decides that. that these conferences move from, from region to region every year. And whoever, whichever country in that region says, hey, I want to host this, usually gets it. Sometimes there, there's, there's election if there's more than one country who wants to, who wants to host this. But I, I think the fact that, I mean, the problem of climate change is largely a problem of fossil fuels. And, and to pretend that we can solve climate change without talking about fossil fuels or talking to fossil fuel producing nations, I, I don't know how we do that. Like, I really don't. Let's talk about, I mean, obviously a big announcement uh, in Ottawa today uh, as you're over there representing uh, the country in Dubai, but but uh, your government, the, the federal government announcing regulatory framework, I'll credit the CBC on this reporting, this has been happening as we've been doing the show, uh, for capping emissions in the oil and gas sector, a national cap and trade system that sets emissions limits without, so they say, restricting production. Uh, proposes to cap 2030 emissions, not too far away, at 35 to 38% below 2019 levels, um, but also allowing for, so says the, the uh, framework, uh, a 12% increase in production. Uh, can you lay this out so the, so the average Canadian can understand it? I've got a few questions for you, but, but what would you tell or what would you say to the average Canadian about why this is so significant and how this may differ? It sets the bar a little bit lower uh, than previous targets of a 40% reduction. What does the average person need to know? So what we're doing with, with, with this regulation, or and in fact, it's not even the regulation yet, it's a framework. So it's a step removed from, 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 from draft regulations. Um, but what we want, what we want to ensure is that the oil and gas sector, like other sectors in, in, in the Canadian society, think of electricity, think of transportation, uh, does its fair share when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas pollution. Um, but we want to do that in a way, and, and clearly the federal government has no jurisdiction telling provinces how to use their natural resources. So we're not, we're not reducing production, but there's a lot of things we can do to, to reduce emissions in, in, in the oil and gas sector, uh, namely reducing methane emissions. Methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas, uh, 30 times more powerful than CO2. We already have regulations in place uh, to reduce methane emissions by at least 45% by 2025. Chances are we'll get there next year. And in fact, in, in, in the case of that, that regulation. Uh, we have an agreement with Alberta where it is the, the Alberta system that, that is being applied and the federal system is just there as a backstop in case something happens in Alberta. So it's Alberta that, that, that is running the, this regulation. It's not the federal government. And we're certainly happy to continue doing that with, uh, with Alberta when it comes to the methane. So there are a number of things that can be done to ensure that regardless of what happens to production, that the pollution levels will continue doing that. And we're doing something very similar with the transportation sector, where 100% of cars sold in Canada by 2035 will have to be zero emission vehicles, so either hydrogen or, or electric vehicle. We're doing the same thing with the, the, the electricity sector, where we will have to be carbon neutral by, by 2035 in, in Canada. So it's very consistent with our overall approach. 
When, when you were dining, you said when you had dinner and an opportunity to, to catch up with some of the Alberta uh, delegates uh, just a short time ago at COP, did, did Alberta's grid, did the electricity grid come up in conversation? Has, has anybody changed their minds on that? Has any progress been made in, in getting these two perspectives to align? For people that are maybe hearing about it for the first time, essentially you uh, and your government that wants Alberta to and believes that it's doable for Alberta to get its grid to net zero by 2035, the position of the Alberta government, including on this show stated by the premier, is that it's just not doable, uh, that they're, gonna, they're more bullish on natural gas, that they're considering establishing a crown corporation uh, that would be funded by Alberta to bolster Alberta's electrical uh, capabilities uh, by way of natural gas. Is there any movement there or, or would you describe this as, as, as just of a frozen uh, of positions as it has been a month ago? I, I had a meeting with uh, Minister Schultz uh, two days ago, who's also here uh, in, in, in Dubai. Uh, the, the clean electricity regulation was one of the things we, we, we discussed. I think we still have different views. Uh, on that, but we've agreed to continue talking about it. And I know that the Premier says that it can't be done, and yet we have two provinces, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And in case of Nova Scotia, 60% of the electricity produced today in Nova Scotia is still produced from fossil fuels, from burning of fossil fuels. And they signed an agreement with us that, that says we will do, we will work with the federal government to ensure that our grid by 2035 is carbon neutral. Same thing with New Brunswick, a, a, a province that is still very dependent on fossil fuels to produce electricity. So the idea that it can't be done, um, that well, that flies in the face of that because we already have provinces who like Alberta uh, still use fossil fuels to produce some of their electricity who say we, we can do that. And, and the regulations we propose do not prevent, do not prohibit the use of natural gas post 2035. It will still be allowed. What we're trying to do is to, to, to minimize the amount of fossil fuels we will still be using to produce electricity post-2035 in Canada, but we're not eliminating all the, coal, the, the gas-fired produced electricity uh, after 2035. With regards to this framework announced today, I, I'm curious to know the, the original target uh, for emissions reduction was about 42%, and, and now if all things are considered, and, and, and we'll get into this maybe after we talk to you for the audience benefit as we understand it, you know, the facilities manufacturers have an opportunity to, to, to offset credits and to, to purchase credits from other facilities that have lowered their emissions, and that's kind of how this cap and trade thing works, but... What matters most to most people, they'll take a look and they'll say the original target was a 42% reduction. About as ambitious as it gets right now is is 38% uh, if everything goes according to plan. Again, like you said, this is just the framework. How much of this, uh, how much of the numbers, how much of the ambition of this plan was impacted by those two recent high-profile Supreme Court decisions, the one over energy expansion, essentially jurisdiction, and the other over the plastics ban. I would have to assume that those factored in. So the 42% you're referring to comes out of a plan we, we, we prepared and we, we published last year called the Emissions Reduction Plan. And that 42% was not a target. It was an analysis that was purely based on economics, but what would be the most economically efficient way for Canada to achieve its 2030 targets? But it didn't look at, is it technically feasible? What time does it take to deploy the technology? What kind of investments do we need to make? Like it, it was a very theoretical, but we, we just wanted to give folks in Canada a sense of the direction we needed to go. And, and, and the, the, the number for the oil and gas sector, as you said, was 42%. 
we're at 35 to 38. So we're not we're not far removed from that. Um, in terms of the, the the court decisions, I mean, uh, you may recall in 2021 that um, that there was a Supreme Court decision on carbon pricing. There was a challenge by by Alberta, by Saskatchewan, by other provinces uh, that the federal government couldn't couldn't put in place a, a price on pollution. The Supreme Court said that we could, but but it also said it wasn't an open bar. Like it's not it's not a reason for the federal government to impede on provincial jurisdiction. On impact assessment, there was an opinion, not a decision, by the Supreme Court that said that parts of our parts of the impact, impact assessment act was constitutional but it, but it also pointed out pointed out that the parts of it weren't constitutional so the the supreme court said we think it's an opinion so it's not a decision but we think that you're overstepping your jurisdiction so we're in the process of revising this act to make sure that we stay within our federal lane and as for plastics uh, it is um, i profoundly disagree with uh, it's a federal court judge that uh, that made that ruling and i've already said that i would be appealing it uh, it flies in the face of, uh, of science that we have on the impacts of plastics on humans, on, on the environment. I've had scientists from all over Canada telling me we'll go and testify in front of any, of any judge in the country to, 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 to present uh, the result of our studies that shows how much plastics is affecting uh, our health. It's affecting our fetus. It's affecting our kids. Um, and 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 we need to do something about it. And Canadians want us to do something about it. Well, it's just like, and I I I would say that you know anybody that's that's seen the YouTube videos or watched the documentaries knows that there's you know a, a, a garbage island, there's a plastic island the size of the state of Texas that's floating around in the ocean, and we learn a little bit more about microplastics and how they find our, their way into our water. And and the more that people dig, the more they'll realize that it is undeniable that we have a plastics problem my understanding of that decision though correct me if i'm wrong was just that the ban the toxic plastics ban was just too sweeping like it it sort of tried to ban everything we, we, can, i wouldn't say would you agree with that because you've let us know you profoundly disagree but but what what does the appeal look like do you have do you have to walk it back a little bit and if so what might that look like so the uh, the ban that we put in place is for six single-use plastics what what the court what the federal judge said is that there, there is a list that that's part of this regulation and 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 the judge said that that list is too broad and 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 you can't back it up scientifically and that's where I disagree with respectfully with with that judge and which is why we will appeal to the to the federal court of appeal on that um, and you know, Ryan we could look at companies that are already putting in place measures Labatt uh, Labatt beers. Uh, they will have overall all of their plants in Canada to eliminate the the plastic rings around around beer cans, and they will do that six months before they had to uh, as per as per this uh, this this piece of regulation. And I could, I mean, uh, uh, companies are are already moving away from that, and Canadians are, are moving more and more away from from plastics and and plastic pollution. So it's so it's happening, but we want to make sure we have a good regulatory framework around that. Uh, the Honorable Stephen Gilboa is Canada's Minister of Environment and Climate Change. He joins us live from COP28 at Dubai. We sure appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Minister. Thank you very much, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. Uh, let us know what you think about that one, Real Talkers. That I mean, we cover a lot of ground as much as we can, and <clears throat> we expect that we'll probably have uh, uh, Minister Randy Bosno joining us from Ottawa momentarily here. He mm -hmm. was taking part in that announcement on the cap and trade thing. Um, so, yeah, I know we've got a few balls in the air here talking about the plastics ban. I thought, uh, you know, it's interesting to see politicians, in particular on the Prairie Provinces, celebrating the, these uh, you know, court decisions or the opinions of the court. Um, and, and I think on, on, on 
some fronts, it's good news for the provinces. It's good for the economy. It's good for industry. And on the other fronts, like about the plastics ban, I have, like, and I just want to talk like a real human here. I don't want to talk like I'm sitting around a boardroom or like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put together some sort of a, you know, a doctoral thesis. <laughs> but um, I do think that, you know, we need to be reasonable as we transition some of these things. We mm-hmm. need to be smart about policy. You know, the average person is going gonna, is gonna to encounter these policies at the grocery store, for example, when they need a bag and then the bag's 15 cents or they're, sure. they're picking up the whatever, the biscotti from their favorite coffee drive through and they you know, get charged 15 cents for a bag, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes these prompts help us to adjust our behavior and sometimes our behavior needs to be adjusted. I think of kids and adults starting to wear bike helmets. I think of us wearing seat belts. I think of us, you know, having policies invoked that that sort of allow us to understand how we can better protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's impossible to ignore the plastic problem. Um, so yeah. that that was one of the ones that I kind of said, I understand what the court is saying on this. I understand why. I mean, you look at this Dow Chemical announcement in Alberta. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this earlier this week. Eleven and a half, almost twelve billion dollars invested into this plant. It's great news for employment. It's great news for industry. It's great news for the tax base, where that facility sure. is going to be built and where it's going to operate. Um, one of the main things that's going to come out of there. And by the way, it's a net zero facility, which is super cool. Net zero, but it will be manufacturing plastics, and we need. Plastics, like we use plastics in a lot of things mm-hmm. as human beings. Plastic has been a huge part of innovation, but that doesn't also mean that we don't have an addiction to it, that we don't have a problem, right? And so you get people that'll that'll get all pissed off at the paper straws. I'm one of them. Um, paper straws disintegrate; they're lousy. I can't believe that we can't do better on that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm pro-plastic straw. It doesn't no, mean that I want to see more and more single-use plastic manufactured, right? And I think people are starting to realize how they're interconnected. Like carbon, oil and gas, plastics made from you know petroleum products. I mean, just when you mentioned it, I just pulled this up. I mean, that patch in the ocean now, bigger than twice the size of Texas. I mean... I, I, but we don't see it, right? It's not in our face every day. It's not, it's, you know, it's not in the river as we're crossing the bridge on the way to work in downtown yeah. Edmonton. If it was so, staring you in the face. If you see pictures of this, I, I would, everyone today, just go Google, you know, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It is a monstrosity. It's so disheartening. It is just, it. it's the worst thing you're ever going to see uh, in terms of the environment. And this is all from microplastics and other things that don't break down over time that are just coming together and and they stay there not forever but basically I yeah mean, basically um Akhet on our live chat makes a good point says i think it's pretty funny that the move away from uh, plastic or you know single-use plastic let's say plastic bags means that plastic grocery bags are being replaced with reusable bags uh, which are made from non-biodegradable synthetic materials which are also plastics mm-hmm. now from Akhet, and all I, I know d- is that i have a collection of about <laughs> 200 reusable grocery bags because yeah. I always I mean this is just on me I don't, don't don't feel sorry for me everybody I just need to be smarter but I need to throw a few of them in the trunk of my car yeah I have a collection of reusable bags if anybody needs like 75 of them I'd be happy to donate <laughs> them but I will and I'm not going to shout them out because they, they're they're not our sponsors but I have seen some grocery chains that are now using like I know one that's using hemp to make their bags. Is that which, right? So there's all sorts of different ways we can we can work around this. But again, it's all interconnected. So I'm glad we're discussing all this stuff at COP. And uh, it's it'll be interesting to see when it's over. Uh, 
everything that comes out of it. Uh, th- thanks to the minister for checking in with us. That, that's a big deal for him to take his time out of his day all the way over there. Right? Hey, man, live from Dubai, mm-hmm. and we're going to go live to Ottawa in just a second. But first, while we're talking about the environment and our footprint and things we can do, can I remind you how proud we are to partner with our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy? If you don't follow them on Instagram yet, make sure you do. Uh, number one, just because they have great content. But number two, I learn something every single time they post. Uh, they're on Instagram at Kubi Energy. That's K-U-B-Y. They've got a great new video up there talking about what sets them apart from the other installers. Uh, things like clean wiring. You're not going to see cables up on your roof. You know, you walk by like your neighbor's I love that. new installation, except for they went with like the budget guys that <laughs> yeah. like have no business being up there. And it looks like basically like that. There's an RV, Clark. It looks like Uncle Randy like was up there installing the solar. Not Kubi. The way they place the arrays, the way they hide the wires, they use these Solodeck junction boxes to ensure that their installations have a sleek and tidy finish. You know, the average uh, solar install is going to pay itself off in just a number of years, in less than 10 years. But there's so many other reasons as well to go green. Oh, and by the way, they're hiring too. You can go to kubienergy.ca if you're an apprentice, if you have your ticket, if you're an electrician looking for a change of pace and a new opportunity, Kubi would love to talk to you. A big shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. I was so excited to hear how they are BMO certified. You know, they are the only insurance-related restoration company in the province of Alberta. Let me say that again. They are the only company in the province of Alberta that's doing this type of work that has this certification. It's called BMO Climate Smart. And what this means is that they have found a way to recycle the majority of the materials that they're taking out of demolitions. I was talking to Kelly, who's the founder of the company. He tells me that they're recycling an average of 71% of materials they're taking out of homes and businesses that have flooded or been impacted by fire. Can you imagine 71%? And so I go, well, where where are the rest of the companies at? What's the average in the industry? He says, zero. They typically fill up those big drop, you know, those big uh, drop boxes that the trucks come and pick up, the big, huge garbage bins, and they just put them into the landfill. Not complete care restoration. If you can believe it, more than 70% of the materials from every job site are recycled. That's just another reason if disaster ever strikes to choose complete care restoration. And speaking of companies that we're proud to partner with, I want to remind you that Eden Landscaping, they don't take their winters off. So if you have a project in mind for next summer, Now's when you're going to want to get in touch with them. Mike and his team are masters of the design process, which you soon learn as you start to talk to them. A custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in the Metro Edmonton region. They've seen it all. So you may have a real issue with drainage, or maybe your lawn just doesn't grow. Maybe your retaining wall is about to collapse. You need a new one. Maybe you want to run natural gas out to your garage or to your shed or your shop. They do excavation. They do water projects. They do it all. And you can start Start the conversation to work with them by visiting Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Boston was having a chuckle when you were talking about Uncle Randy on the roof. Well, let's get to it. I wonder where that stacks up on his list of all-time favorite holiday or Christmas movies. The federal tourism oh minister, he's my MP out of Edmonton Center, Randy Boissano. It's nice to see you. Uh, is, in your mind, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation one of the all-time greats? 
It absolutely is. And I can guarantee you, my friend, that I was, I've not been doing any solar installs recently, no, if ever. No, that's not... I don't think that would be safe for me or for the people getting the solar installed. Well, man, and we all know that one person that's just, they're, they're not swayed by the idea that you should hire professionals. We all know that one person that just believes that they can do it no matter what. Absolutely. And look, I, I really, you know, I'm glad that you shout out your sponsors and it gives people a, a sense of who the local businesses are in our area to support. So good on you and good, all this, good on the sponsors for keeping you on the, uh, on the airwaves. Hey, Brian. man, we, we, uh, we wouldn't be here without them. That's just a fact. Uh, the reason uh, people that, that are watching this or, uh, on YouTube or listening live on the Mixler Audio mm-hmm. app presented by California Closets are, are going to go, boy, the show's going a little bit later than it normally does. That's because you have literally <laughs> just wrapped an announcement. So yeah. we're getting to the interview a little bit later um we talked about it uh to a certain degree with the environment minister and we mm-hmm. want to talk to you because this is this is your stomping grounds this is when you're talking about energy emissions cap and trade in the province of alberta uh, people are going to want to hear from randy bosno talk to us about the announcement today so ryan thanks for the uh, opportunity to be on the show today is it's actually a historic day for alberta for canada we are the fourth largest producer of oil and gas in the world And we're the first country in the world to say, look, we know where the puck's going. We know that capital markets are saying the greenest barrel of oil is going to be the one that the world wants the most and first. And so we're working with industry because it is the heaviest polluting industry in the country to do better and to make sure that we've got a a workable, feasible, achievable plan that's going to see serious reductions in uh, in emissions. And I guess the message here, Ryan, because you're going to get a lot of noise. Albertans are going to hear a lot of noise from the premier, from uh, Scott Moe, premier next door that this is somehow a, uh, a cap on production. It couldn't be further from the truth. This is a cap on emissions. It is not a cap on production. In fact, we're actually going to see production levels go up. And if you take a look at the drilling numbers for Alberta in 24, up considerably. Why is that? Because we have what the world wants. Uh, the world fundamentally changed after the war uh, in Ukraine started, the illegal invasion of Russia into Ukraine. And so whether it's critical minerals, whether it's our oil and gas, whether it's LNG, uh, we need to be able to provide more of that to the world. What we're saying, though, is like you and I lived through the smoke-filled air in uh, September and May long weekend. Like I actually couldn't go outside on the Monday of of, uh, the September long weekend and May long weekend because the, uh, what do you call it? The air quality index was 11 plus. So what is this for? It's to decouple production from emissions. And hey, look, I had questions today, Jonathan and Stephen had questions today. Why did it take you so long? Well, the answer is because we actually sat down with industry and our partners to hammer this out, to look at the real numbers and to actually have a pathway that brings the Pathway Alliance along with us that actually says, hey, we can do this in a way that invest that industry is going to invest the emissions are going to come down and we're going to see thousands and thousands of jobs and i'm glad you were talking about dow happy to talk about that uh layer on to that heidelberg cement net zero cement the first net zero cement plant in the world that's being built in our backyard we've got air products largest net zero hydrogen plant in north america being built in our backyard now dow is going to be another seven thousand jobs why because our investment tax credits and our reduction of emissions is getting people's attention and guess who is third in the world in foreign direct investment right now ryan which means jobs 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 it's canada united states brazil then canada tops in the world for attracting businesses to put money in our backyard so today's a good investment people are going to be people are going to be listening to this and they're going to go hang on a second you're telling me this is going to reduce emissions uh, in theory uh by up to they say 38 percent but production is going to increase 
people will immediately be cynical about that. How much of the onus uh, falls upon these facilities? Basically, they're going to have to find a way to go way more green. They got to figure out a way to get their emissions down or they're not ramping up production, right? Absolutely. Look, so we could have taken a really heavy-handed approach. Um, and you heard Stephen Gilbo, my colleague, talk about constitutional lanes and the, the, the you know what we have the ability to do as a federal government, the responsibility and the jurisdictional authority of the province. But that would make no sense. We'd be tied up in legal mumbo jumbo for years, sort of like what the fight that, you know, the Harper government had with indigenous peoples on trying to get pipe built, which they never got done because they didn't actually bring people around the table. So we've done that. So how are we going to do it? The most innovative sector in our country is not the aerospace sector. It's not the automotive sector. It's the oil and gas sector. And so the smartest engineers and geophysicists and technical people and workers are the people that are going to help get the emissions down. Uh, and production up, and that's both carbon capture use and storage. Earlier this week, you saw that we announced a methane reduction uh, plan as well, because the highest uh, GHG emitting uh, offtake of uh, GHG is, uh, not of GHG, but of oil and gas is methane. So when you start stacking it all together, Ryan, what we have is a cap and trade system that was built in so that those who haven't quite mastered the technology yet are going to be able to trade their credits with those who are ahead. And guess what? The, the incentive is built right into the market so that those companies that do better and reduce their emissions faster are going to be in the catbird seat of being able to trade those those credits with uh, those parts of the industry that are still figuring out how to get their emissions down. Um, you, you obviously know that a big part of, of uh, the, the Alberta government's position on emissions reduction, a big part of the plan is carbon capture and storage. Last mm -hmm. week, we saw an announcement, uh, the ACCIP, it was the Alberta Carbon Capture Incentive Program, I think it is, uh, could be worth, you know, three and a half to five billion dollars over the next number of years. The Alberta government will, will cover the cost of about 12 percent uh, for facilities that are integrating these, you know, 12 percent of capital costs. We've got a, a pointed question from Ken in our live chat. Um, <laughs> I like this, Randy. He opens with a compliment. He says, I like the minister, but uh, he says, <laughs> he, he says, but uh, but until his government comes out and says how they will help pay for carbon capture and storage, you know, so-called working with oil and gas are just nice words. The producers simply won't cover the cost of all of it. What would you say to Ken? Oh, Ken, look, I guess I'll do better at uh, communicating and getting the government comm shop to do a better job. Uh, in Budget 22 alone, we put $8 billion on the table for carbon capture use and storage. We were actually out first. We've been waiting for Danielle Smith to actually come to the table, and so has Pathways. We've been waiting for over a year and a half to see what the province would do. Finally, we got the 12% number that's good because it's going to stack with our credits. And I can tell you, Pathways and uh, other companies have been very happy with what they see from our tax credits. I can tell you there are people here uh, on the Hill figuring out exactly how much they're going to get. And if you take a look at Dow, so you had the conversation about you know green plastic and about all the different things that you use polyethylene for. The reason that, that this American company decided to put $11 billion into Canada is because of our low-cost feedstock, because of the federal Alberta investment tax credits, but also because of our people and our education system and the fact that Fort Saskatchewan and Edmonton are growing parts of the province. They want to be wanted to be part of that. And at the end of the day, this is one of Dow's biggest investments in the world. And if they get it right here, they're going to be exporting this carbon capture use and storage technology across the country. But why did it work? Because Alberta had put down a carbon uh, trunk line. So literally a pipe that you can actually put carbon into that goes into a deep sink. And what uh, the premier and others are doing in, in uh, Dubai right now, and I'm very happy that the largest provincial delegation at COP is, is the Alberta delegation, is they are selling the 168 gigatons of carbon that we could actually be putting into, uh, into our province 
again, that would mean billions of dollars of investment. So the feds are at the table. Uh, and I heard you talking about electricity with Stephen Ryan. Mm. We put $43 billion on the table to triple our electricity grid and to do it in a green way. So when Danielle Smith goes and puts the Alberta Sovereignty Act in because of losing a, a battle at her own cabinet table to allow her to go to COP, She's doing it because she's trying to, you know, take the the attention off the fact that her renewables moratorium has actually scared away $12 billion uh, of investment from the province. So she's got some makeup to do to bring investment back that her own renewables um, moratorium has uh, scared away. And she's also trying to deflect from the really unpopular idea that she has to pull Alberta out of the CPP. So there's some smoke and mirrors going on there. I'm very happy that Alberta has got a big delegation at COP. And today's announcement is, from my perspective as jobs minister, is about jobs, jobs, jobs. Let me ask you to circle back. What are you talking about this battle that she lost at her cabinet table? I don't know what you're talking about. So there was a battle at cabinet as to whether she should implement, whether their government should implement the Alberta Sovereignty Act or not. And Ryan, if you want to go, I like your show because we can have politics in full sentences. Sure. At the UCP AGM, the Take Back Alberta movement, took over all of the seats on the UCP AGM, on the UCP board. So what does that mean? That means that Danielle Smith and her cabinet now have some masters to answer to and saber rattling at the feds with the Alberta Sovereignty Act over electricity was, I'm pretty sure her ticket to be able to go to COP. So these are the kind of forces that are at play in our province. It's not about good policy. It's about politics in her own uh, backyard, in her own shop. And you saw what, kind, what those politics did to Jason Kenney. So my job is to make sure that I have common ground with uh, the premier and her ministers to get work done on behalf of Albertans. Because guess what? Even in COVID, Ryan, even in the middle of COVID, when I was talking to residents and look, through some of COVID, I wasn't even the MP. What did they want us to work on? They wanted us to work on fighting climate change. And when I'm on the doors now in uh, Inglewood, in Crestwood, in uh, Dovercourt, uh, in Kenora, it's fight climate change. Get us good jobs, but make sure there's a planet for my kids to enjoy. Yeah, I would say, like, it's interesting. Um, the, the, you know, I, I was talking to Minister Newdorf and uh, respect mm -hmm. the off the record nature of the conversation. It was at a, at a social yep. event. But I said, like, when can we expect to see this report from this moratorium? And his face kind of like, he's like, uh, you know, because I just don't think he wanted to talk about that over old fashions. But the fact of the matter is, I was I was I was pretty clear about how I felt about it. I'm not a cabinet minister, but I just thought it was just ludicrous uh, what they did. I still think it was ludicrous um, uh, to, to impose a moratorium on, on green energy expansion, green energy development, especially with Alberta seeing such momentum there. Like the, the, the majority, more than approximately 80% of, of, of all new projects that were happening in Canada were happening in Alberta. I know I don't have to tell you that as, as Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, but but I would say this is that like you, you send a real chill, and I would imagine all the way through to the international investors with that. Now that said... Now Alberta's at COP telling its story, and I think that's great. I think that Alberta has a lot to tell, but for the premier to go over to COP and say that Alberta's a great place to invest in green energy initiatives, wow, a moratorium is currently imposed <laughs> on wind and solar projects is, 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 is a little bit of a problematic messaging uh, situation. So, so obviously, that government's got to reconcile that, but big picture, and I'll make this very clear, and I bet you would say the same thing. I would never cheer against Alberta, ever. And I think that there are so many good things happening and so much good news, and there are good stories to be told at places like COP. 
the Dow project is just one of them. And obviously you're sharing a few more with us. So I believe mm-hmm. that Alberta does need to be there. Do you have an opinion on that? Everybody's got an opinion on the delegation that Alberta <laughs> sent over. You know, it's like 100 people. Taxpayers aren't paying for all of it. But some people don't even believe that the premier should be there in Dubai. So we're a hockey nation. And I watched Gretzky growing up and, and the guys playing. Um, and Gretzky's great analogy of skating to where the puck's going. I think it's smart for Alberta to be at COP. I think it's smart for uh, Canada to have probably its largest delegation ever because the capital markets of the world that underpin uh, our oil and gas companies, green companies, basic and, and pension funds around the world, they want to make these smart investments, Ryan, that understand uh, and will reward companies that decouple growth from emissions. And like I said earlier, the smartest, most innovative sector in our country is oil and gas. Uh, think about what we do, what we pull out of the ground, how we refine it, how we get it to market. And so I'm betting on the smartest workers and the smartest engineers in the Canadian, uh, you know, industrial ecosystem to figure this out. Why? Because there are tens of thousands of jobs available. And don't take my word for it. Just take a look at the Canadian, um, the Clean Energy uh, Association that says the carbon capture use and storage alone is going to bring 40,000 jobs to Alberta uh, over the next five to 10 years. That is, that's like an entire new city or town of workers. And so I'm very bullish on Alberta. I'm very bullish on us getting this right. But what doesn't help is flip-flops in policy. And so when Danielle Smith goes madly off in all directions, when Pierre Polyev and pessimistic premiers try to take us back to the past, uh, that's not the promise of Canada. And I can tell you, we are third in the world for foreign direct investment, which is jobs, jobs, jobs. Like who three or four years ago was going to say that after the United States and after Brazil, Canada would be the third in the world for attracting money to its shores. And that's what we've done. So whether it's Dow or Heidelberg or Air Products or Stellantis or Northvolt or go across the country, LNG Canada, this is good news. And it's good news for people who uh, just want good, long paying, you know, good paying long-term jobs. Yeah. Randy Bosno, uh, Honorable Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Official Languages. Also, of course, the elected member of parliament for Edmonton Center. You know, we, we had uh, we had another former MP. We had Lori Hahn in here the other day uh, for our Remembrance Day roundtable, which was interesting. It's like, well, you, you look at all the I mean, and, and we were talking about uh, provincial politics the other day as well and, and taking a look at obviously different riding boundaries. But but out of Edmonton Center, certain ridings down in Calgary, there's a lot of high profile politicians, high profile politics happening in those writings we always want to make sure that those movers and shakers are on this show and for that reason we appreciate your availability minister thanks for doing this today on short notice my pleasure ryan anytime you got it that's the honorable randy boissano so a lot of stuff to cover today on the show we sure appreciate everybody sticking around. We know that went a little bit later than normal. I see some people are going to have to duck out and catch this later because they they build their daily routines around Real Talk wrapping at a certain time. That's our live Thank audience. You. And then, of course, the later <laughs> audience, you know, the folks that are listening to this on the dog walks and the bike rides and the yeah. commutes. Um, we're grateful that you had a chance to hear from those ministers as well on, the, on a big news day, uh, both here at home and, of course, abroad internationally as well. That's our show coming up tomorrow. This will be our Friday episode of Real Talk. We're going to continue our coverage of COP and we're we're going to go in a few different directions. We're going to be talking to three Canadians that are there or that were there and have returned home. 
Uh, we're going to have a perspective from a physician, Dr. Joe Vipond. Sharon Morin is going to join us, a wonderful friend of the show who is there as an Indigenous knowledge keeper. And of course, we'll be looking to the live chat for your takes on this. Our email inbox always open as well. Make it a great day. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.